0: a good evening and a warm welcome to all witches weirdos goblins and ghouls you are listening to the london horror society podcast this is the podcast where we chat to people working across the genre whether they be established or emerging in front of or behind the camera from first assistant director to final girl without any further ado grab yourself a glass of chianti sit back relax enjoy Jonathan
1: Barkan, are you a witch, weirdo, goblin, or ghoul? Um, it's a funny question because many people would probably want to associate themselves as a weirdo with those options, but I, I genuinely think I'm more of a goblin. <laughs> I nice. think I, I, I kind of fit into into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any any
0: particular ways that you fit, feel you fit into that more than the others, or?
1: Yeah, I mean, witch. I, uh, it's it's not something that I immediate it, immediately I know that I don't identify as a witch. It's it's as easy to eliminate it as it is to kind of hone in. Um, ghoul. I yeah, I don't. That doesn't feel right either. Weirdo. It was really down between weirdo and and goblin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but goblin, I feel is is more appropriate just because of my journey through this industry was kind of you know working very very hard um but also just kind of managing to find navigate my way through and kind of sneak here and 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 weave into there to to kind of get to where i am and like i said it was an enormous amount of of work but there definitely were some elements of of luck and and relationship building and, you know, not necessarily conniving my way in, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, definitely. I, I definitely feel that goblin is, is the right way.
0: Yeah. A man after own, I in. Uh, <laughs> I also relate to the goblin more than any of the others. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that way in? Um, was, was there a kind of moment where you thought like, this is where I want to be and this is what I need to be doing or.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've had that feeling several times. Um, so my entry into the film industry was as a, as a critic, as a journalist, I started out as a writer for Bloodydisgusting.com. I was a writer for the music section specifically because I've, I've been a horror fan my entire life, but I've also been a music fan you know, I was that kid with a really crappy Casio keyboard, you know, with, you know, battery powered that I would put down on the floor in front of the family TV. And I'd put in a VHS of Ridley Scott's legend. And that, and uh, I know that in the UK, you've got the Jerry Goldsmith score, but in the United States, we had the Tangerine Dream score. And that that music, I've, I've always loved it. And so I would sit there and just kind of by ear play, you know, figure out the melody and learn how to, um, and, and so music was always something that I loved. And in, so, a, uh, after high school, I graduated 18, took a year off. And then I went to a local community college where I got a certificate in music production and engineering. And I always thought that I would be the guy behind the mixing booth. That's mm-hmm. that seemed really exciting. And one day when I was reading Bloody Disgusting, I saw that they had a uh, a music video premiere. And I was like, oh my God, if they're doing music, that my worlds have combined. I need mm-hmm. to get into this. And I sent in a uh, message to the author of that music video premiere article, not knowing that that was the co-owner of the website. Right. And I explained... I explained, this is who I am. I've loved horror my whole life. I've been reading Bloody Disgusting for years now. um, And I have a certificate in music production and engineering. So I would love to write reviews for you guys. And they, uh, they brought me on board saying, you know, two album reviews a month. Great. I contacted every record label I could. And all of them were super receptive because they thought to themselves, this is an audience that we haven't really tapped into, the horror audience. Mm-hmm. So a lot of rock and metal labels were like, yes, let's let's get in on this. And I really put in a lot of work uh, establishing those relationships and building them up. And it was and then I became the the editor of the music section and then I grew and started writing for other sections of the website, you know, video games, comics, TV, you know, everyday news. And I really started feeling like this is, this is right. This is, this is what I, what I want to do. And so I was with Bloody Disgusting for, um, for over seven years. I want to say, yeah, it was the end of 2016 when I left because, I wasn't I I left. And then I reached out to uh, a guy that I worked with a few times in the coming years. His name is Shaked, uh, Shaked Berenson. And he was the co-founder and co-owner of Epic Pictures. Mm-hmm. And I, and we'd, we'd spoken a few times and I just said, Hey, do you know of anything I'm looking to uh, to kind of grow and expand and I'm ready to go wherever, do whatever I need to do. And he said, give me a week because I've got something in the works and you would be perfect for it. And it turns out that that was when Epic was in negotiations to acquire DreadCentral.com. Oh. <laughs> um, and and so they said, you know, we need someone who has a passport and isn't afraid to use it. And I was like, well, I'm your guy. Like I am no, I, I love traveling. So I came aboard as a managing editor of DreadCentral and immediately was thrown into the world of film acquisitions because that was what they wanted. They Epic was known for genre fair, but they were actually generating ma- the majority of their revenue through family films and drama. So they wanted to separate that. And that's why they got Dread Central. It was because they could then create a specialty label called Dread Central Presents, which is think- now just known as Dread. And that was and so I became the managing editor of Dread Central and an acquisitions ambassador. For Dread Central presents, so I was going to festivals around the world, meeting with independent filmmakers and convincing them that Epic would be the right home for them. Just like every other distributor, you know, does they go there? Hey, you know, Gravitas would be the perfect home for you. It would, mm-hmm. you know, Saban would be the perfect home. Shutter, you know, all of these places. And uh, and I was pretty successful. Like oh, in my two and a half years, approximately at Dread Central, I. I was part of 20 to 25 acquisitions and assisted with, you know, marketing and distribution. Um, And then I got the opportunity to, shift entirely out of the film journalism world into film industry Uh and that was with working with Shaked again at his current company Entertainment Squad and we launched the Horror Collective and our first movie came out a week before the pandemic was announced and all of our plans for going to events and marketing and branding just went right out the window. So we you know we, we still worked really hard and we did some some wonderful releases that I'm very, very proud of, but we naturally came to a pause and amicably split. Uh-huh. And I just kept going in the film industry world. And it was at a company called Mutiny Pictures where I acquired Skinamarink, And I think that's probably the, the biggest title, obviously, that I've, that I've worked on. And I think the story there is interesting because people like myself who do film acquisitions uh, and film distribution, we have to have a very open mind as to where we can find films. We Uh have to think outside of the box. It's not just let's go to film festivals and find something or wait for filmmakers to email the distribution company and then we can uh, kind of watch the films and decide if it would be right for us. We have to be very active. Uh So on top of scrolling through... IMDB pro for films that are in post production on top of going to the festivals on top of the networking that we've all done we do research so i'm scrolling through google every day um you know and i when i say scrolling through google you know how they say if you've gone past page 1 you're in the, in the depths of the of the internet uh-huh. i'm yeah. scrolling to page like 10 15 20 with, I didn't know it went up to double keywords. figures Oh yeah. Depending, <laughs> depending on what you're looking for. Yeah. But I, so I have my ways of tailoring the Google search results for what I'm looking for, but I still have uh-huh. to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And another place that I look at uh, and where I found Skinamarink is the filmmaking subreddit. Uh, r slash, I think it's filmmakers and Kyle posted a trailer that he cut for Skinnamor Inc. and said, hey, I made this horror film. Um, I'm pretty much done with post-production, but I cut a trailer. What do you all think of it? And I watched and I thought to myself, this is unbelievable. Like, this is something that I... I'm so fascinated by this. I want to know more. And so I DM'd him and we started talking back and forth. And uh, then we entered into negotiations and we had several calls. And I think what was really important for kyle was that i i'm i'm a very honest person i live by a motto which is i'd rather give you the ugly truth than a pretty lie okay. and so when we were talking about skin Rink, i said look the, the the biggest likelihood is that this will be released and it will be too weird and too avant-garde for people and it will be buried but there is a chance that we can make this something really big and really exciting because of how different and how unique it is. And we're going to fight for that. We're not going to take the easy route. We're going to put in the work. But just know that even if we put in a lot of work, it may not land. And he said, that's that's fine. So long as you put in the work, that's all that matters. And so uh, I helped get it into Fantasia for the world premiere. Um, I was in touch with a lot of press who were seeking screener links so that they could write it like for an independent horror film to get, you know, 10 reviews out of its world premiere is, unless it's something that has a lot of buzz, it's Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty rare. Skinner got 22 reviews out of Fantasia. Well, and they were, and the lowest score was a mixed positive. Um, And we knew that we had something really, really special on our hands then. Um, And what also really helped us is that the ex-head of publicity for Shudder, Sean, was in attendance at Fantasia, and he went and saw Skidmerink. And when he got out, he was texting the acquisitions team, Sam and Emily, "Um, if this isn't on your radar, put it on there right away. And I didn't know that he sent that text message. But a few hours after he sent that, I'd started collecting all of the reviews and and getting pull quotes. And I sent all of that to Sam and Emily. And I said, hey, we have this film at world premiere at Fantasia. It's getting amazing reviews. Do you want to see it? Um, And they emailed back almost immediately saying, yes, send us a link.
0: Uh
1: I sent it. And within a few days, they said, listen, we love this. We're going to make an offer. We're just talking with our partners at amc like ifc um about like teaming up to do something bigger mm-hmm. and, and at that point i knew that the dream of skinnamarink being something bigger than um than what we had hoped for was going to become a reality And so, you know, I helped negotiate that deal, uh, you know, on behalf of Kyle, I definitely asked him, you know, what are the things that you need? What are the kind of the, the main things that you want out of it? Theatrical was incredibly big for him. And he used, we're all going to the world's fair, um, as, uh, as kind of the comp he was saying, you know, this got 20 screens. I would love if we could have something like that, that would just be the best, and um and so we were negotiating for that, and Shudder was like, listen, we'll try, but the most we can promise is like five to ten screens. And we said, okay, we'll take that. If if you you've got it in a contract, if it does well, you'll expand it. That's all that we need. That's what we're looking for. And it started playing a few more festivals that we'd already previously locked down because of the popularity at Fantasia. And then it played a festival, which I will not name in Europe. And it was part of the virtual portion. And we were promised security. We were promised safety. We were promised everything. And within 24 hours of it going live, it was on every Torrent website. So it was that was a punch to the gut, to put it mildly, because Shudder and, and us, we were talking about some really amazing marketing plans and, you know, ways to distribute this that would kind of lean into the style of movie that it was. Um, and that got thrown for a lurch because of the piracy. But I will say that because of the piracy, the film started reaching a much wider audience. Now, we don't know if Shutter's original way of marketing would have tapped into that audience. It may very well have. There was already a, a substantial word of mouth being generated for this film because of the festivals, because of the reviews. Um, but it's, but, you know, through piracy and through people on TikTok, you know, I want to say before the film was released theatrically, it had something like 20 Twenty to twenty-five million views on the hashtag. Jesus, unbelievable! Yeah, it was. It had grown into something that we couldn't have fathomed, but again, we didn't know if that would have happened had it been released legitimately, quote unquote. I
0: mean, I work in marketing myself, and you got to pay big money for twenty million on TikTok. Do you know what I mean? Really do for that to happen, not organically, but. You know, it, as, you know, piracy it was organically, aside, yeah. organically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely organic.
1: Same. But, you know, it was a, uh, a very painful organic. Yeah. Um, Kyle was devastated. He was distraught. He was terrified. You know, we were worried what's going to happen with the shutter deal. And bless their hearts, they leaned into it. So, oh. the, you know, I, I feel comfortable saying this. The original release for Skinnam was Halloween this year. Um, And they had all sorts of amazing plans to really make it something special and something exciting. But the piracy happened, the leak happened, and they bumped it up. And the original plan was, hey, this is getting a ton of attention. Let's put it in 250 theaters because of all this attention that it's getting online. And then the articles started coming out. Rolling Stone, LA Times, Chicago Tribune, New York Times, Collider, AV Club, uh, Bloody Disgusting, you know, everywhere were writing about this. And YouTube videos, you know, Skinamarink, the cursed horror film, uh, you know, the, the movie that's being called the scariest film of all time. Uh, all of all of these things were starting to come up and generating a huge amount of traction and um, and publicity and so IFC took the risk and expanded it from 250 screens to an opening weekend of 692 theaters. And it was a holiday weekend. And in the four days, it made just under $900,000 off of a budget of 15000 Canadian. So it's something like 11000 12000 U.S. Um... And that was unreal. And so then it became, you know, the theatrical indie horror success, the movie that beat all odds that was pirated ad infinitum. And yet it still did it, it beat all expectations at the box office. And so they expanded to 802 screens. And now the movie has broken 2 million at the box office again on a budget of 15,000 Canadian. It's, Listen, it's not uh, the Blair Witch Project that grossed over $100 million. It's not Paranormal Activity, which grossed over $100 million. But it is a massive success story because Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity are more commercial films in their in their own way. Skinner is not commercial. It is not a movie that you that you put in 3000 theaters and expect it to do, you know, 30 million opening and break a hundred million dollars. Sure. And yet it tapped into something and it has been incredibly successful for, for everyone. And yeah, our, our wildest dream not only came true, it was surpassed. How does that feel? It is, it's an unbelievable feeling. The amount of pride that I have in Kyle and in what he created is unbelievable. It's it's off the charts. Um, and listen, I, I, I really try to not be a very arrogant person. I will speak about what I feel here and... And I hope it doesn't come across as uh, arrogance, but um, it's not easy, the film acquisitions world, um, because I have to look at movies, not just as a lover of cinema, I have to look at them from a professional standpoint, from a business standpoint, I have to think, okay, this is a fantastic movie. Is it sellable? Because I've run into situations where I look at a movie and I go, I love it. It's amazing. This is brilliant. I God, I, I, I just adore every frame of this movie. There is nothing I can do for it. And it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. And then there are times where I watch a movie and go, oh my God, this is, this is garbage. This is terrible. I can't handle how bad this movie is. It's going to make a million dollars. And then there are the movies where I say to myself, you know what? I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to do it. And at Mutiny, I had that ability. I was the head of acquisitions. What I said went. You know, obviously, I looked to my team and I said, "You know, what are your thoughts? I want to hear your opinions." And and we have we had discussions. You know, what is it about this movie? What is it about uh, this story? What is it about this filmmaker? We're thinking constantly about every aspect of the film and what can we do for it. What are our plans? How do we approach this? And, and luckily the team at Mutiny was like, hey, you believe in this and we see that it's different. Um, we recognize that it's going to be hard, but let's, let's go for it. Let's, let's give it a shot. And so there's a, there's a lot of pride that I feel f- with my own kind of ability to spot a movie and say, there's something special here. And even though it's dangerous, even though it's risky, because anytime a movie is acquired, there are a lot of expenses that go into getting a movie out into the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we can't recoup those expenses, then we eat them. We lose thousands of dollars, if not more. And so I I basically have to take a risk, take a gamble. um, And this one paid off. And so I feel a lot of pride there. And then it's just, you know, being able to say, I believed in something like this and something different. Horror fans are notorious for hating sequels, hating remakes, wanting something original. Um, But then you look at the numbers and there's not a lot of support for the original. Uh, And there's a ton of support for the sequels and the remakes and the reboots. and and admittedly you know it's it's the the fair weather horror fans that are driving the, the vast majority of those numbers the dedicated horror fans are definitely seeking out um what is original what is unique but then but realistically there's not enough of them to make a huge impact so i have to weigh all of these things and Skinnamarink was a very risky move that paid off the way that we wanted. And so I'm just very, very proud and and excited for all parties involved, myself included.
0: What is it about Marink* that, because you said that there was something special about it, but also that you think it would tap into something. Well, yeah. it. What
1: was it about
0: the film that made you feel that?
1: So right away, Skinamarink was unlike really anything that I've ever seen. Not since you know the early films of David Lynch, I think, is are is a good comparison. Um, and you know, there are so many times when audiences watch a movie and they need a story spelled out. They need inf- they need exposition. They need a clear. Plot and *Skinner Rink* has a clear plot. It's just not really told in a traditional manner. It's not done with this- traditional exposition. A lot of it is left to the the audience to place themselves in that film and to place themselves in that story. And I think what really drew me to Skidamarink is the fact that I'm a very, I try to be a very empathetic person. I really try to place myself in the position of a lot of the characters in the films that I'm watching. And horror is a genre that demands empathy. Here are people that are fighting for even five more seconds of life. Um, and there's—and if we can't empathize with them, then it, it doesn't have the same impact. And Skidamarink... Taps into childhood fears in a way that is very primal. And as we get older, our fears become far more nuanced. They become far more complicated. You know, when we're kids, we're scared of the dark. We're scared of the shadow in the closet. We're scared of, uh, you know, the monster in the woods, you know, the creature under our bed as we get older our fears become significantly more grounded i'm scared of getting into a car accident and what will my, and you know what will my medical expenses look like again you're american so you know broken broken healthcare system um you know i'm i'm married i'm scared you know what if something happens to my wife uh you know these are fears that are rooted in reality whereas the fears of childhood are rooted in the abstract in the unknown because we don't know a lot you know when we're young we're ignorant and ignorance is not a bad thing it's uh you know we we learn and we grow as we age as we evolve that's that's the journey of life and with skinamarink because i can i try to empathize i sort of regressed i allowed myself to regress to a Younger state to when I was a child, and when there were these big unknowable fears that seemed so large and all-encompassing, and and it got under my skin, and it scared me, and I knew that if others would allow themselves to feel like that, then then they would feel that fear too. And so I think that's what really stood out to me was that here was a horror film that demanded so much of the audience, but if you were willing to play by the film's rules, you would experience something that you may not have felt in a very long time.
0: So I'd seen a lot of... um people saying on twitter like you know maybe don't go in expecting this or you know don't watch it with your buddies you know when you're having some beers or uh you know maybe watch it with headphones on your laptop by yourself in a dark room when you're home alone and i definitely get that so me me and my partner watched it on the sofa one one evening um uh, we had it on the tv in the lounge and um I, I can see where the benefit of watching it with headphones on the laptop close to the screen would have been. Um, did, did Kyle, when he sent you the the link, did, did Kyle give you any kind of um, advice on how to watch the film? Was that something that he had kind of had in mind when he was making it? Do you know, or did he kind of just give you the link and say, go for it?
1: He gave me the link and said, go for it. Um, Kyle is a, is a, is a fascinating individual. You know, every time I speak with him, I, I learn something new and I think for him, it's, I mean, you think of the story of his YouTube channel, you know, Bite Size Nightmares, it, it was built on making short films centered around the childhood fears of his audience. He was asking his audience, what scared you as a child? what was your what were your childhood nightmares like and then he did his own recreations of them but as he got more and more and more information he started noticing the patterns he noticed the the common fears and so i think by and this is my own assumption so Kyle if you're listening and i'm wrong i'm sorry um but i think through having all of that information and being a creator being someone who is very creative-centered, he tapped into the fact that if a lot of people are having this fear, if a lot of people are experiencing this shared terror, I don't really have to tell anyone how to engage with this because there is a chance that they will very naturally just fall into the proper experience. So, you know, you think, is this something that is great at home in the dark with your headphones? Absolutely. There is also something to be said about being in a dark theater where the sound is all-encompassing and you are surrounded by people who will either share in that experience with you or who will not get it. You know, I saw as many tweets, people saying, you know, the whole theater was like, what the hell did I just watch it? but then I would see a, you know other tweets saying the whole theater sat there in stunned silence when the movie was over, and they waited for the lights to come back on before they felt comfortable standing up and leaving, so you know I'm well aware of how divisive this film is, and i and I love that because I think it is a wonderful way of understanding something about who's watching it. Again, some of us, when we were kids, we were terrified of, you know, the closet door being just slightly ajar or that basket of laundry when in the dark, it's a shadow of something. Um, and, And Kyle really tapped into that. For some other people, that never scared them. What scared them is something that skimmering doesn't tap into and that's fine so i learn about the people who watch skimmering just by knowing what the reaction is
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense and i think you know it's probably good to have strong strong reactions no matter what side of the aisle they're kind of on rather than people being ambivalent you know um one question on the trailer that Kyle had posted to Reddit, uh, because I, I'd watched the trailer that was, um, that was released on YouTube, uh, mm-hmm. I think late last year. And I think it's the first trailer I've watched that actually scared me because the, some trailers, you know, you can have jump scares. They can be gory or something, mm-hmm. but this was the first trailer where I was like, Oh fuck. Like I, Something yeah. so you know you you kind of get the chill. <laughs> was was that the trailer that Kyle had posted, or was it like it was that one? Yeah, that
1: was the one. It's it's all Kyle.
0: Yeah. So that that's amazing because we so at, at the London Horror Society we have a Discord with our members and we have a thread on um sound design and things like that. And we were a couple of us spent like a little while. We downloaded the audio from YouTube, sent it through like an AI to clean it up and stuff like that. And we spent a good few hours trying to slice it up, reverse certain bits, speed certain bits up, uh, slow certain bits down, just to see if we could kind of figure out what was being said or if there was any kind of message. And it got a little bit like, you know, the Pepe Silvia thing in uh, It's Always Sunny uh whether... actually
1: I actually haven't watched it till, so okay. I apologize but yeah <laughs> but we... it, it it reminds me of the people that are like uh there was there's this upcoming Silent Hill game uh, uh, I mean the, one of the one of the many and I um Townfall I think is the one and people were downloading the audio from that trailer and yeah. they were running it through everything and they found that there was actually like an image in the audio file yeah, yeah. and everything like like I love this I love that you're that you're doing this this yeah. is so fascinating
0: yeah, it was. I think I did. I think we did find a little someone saying like "help me" or something like that. But it's something that if if I ever meet Kyle or get to speak to Kyle, I I will ask him if if uh, if they can share the uh, the uh, the stems from from the record because I'm just I'm so curious <laughs> to see how it was all cut up. Uh, so I'm always kind of fascinated to like learning about sound design and how things are how things are cut up. And it's it's always fun when something stumps you because. It's fun to work things out when you go, oh, I think it was done like this. But it's even more fun when you go, I can't work it out. I can't figure it out. Um, so, yeah, that, that trailer was just outstanding through and through. Um, so enjoyable and really didn't give anything away. And, you know, you, you can see how and why people were excited to go and see Skinmarink because Because, um, you know, it's it's super, super interesting.
1: Yeah. And that, I remember that Reddit post where I first saw the trailer, people were loving it. They were like, this is incredible. Like the sound design is great. The presentation is amazing. Like this actually is scary. Like what, what is this? And, and I even asked, you know, is this a feature? And Kyle was like, yeah, this is, this is a feature length film. And I was like, give it, give me, please give me this. I, I want this. So, um, yeah he he was involved in pretty much every single aspect of of that movie so it's impossible to separate skimmering from kyle it I is think- an extension of him and all of his efforts and all of his training and and all of his experimentations it's it is him so yeah
0: yeah, no, it's, it's it's a beautiful piece of work, and I'm so happy that it's had the kind of attention that it has. I think when we look back on this period of time, um, you know, I I think people will see that 2022 20, and 23 are quite pivotal moments in global horror, um, you know, and I, and I think Skin is going to be part of the conversation when you know f- for years to come with uh, with this kind of period. Um, But yeah, how exciting.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think think there will be studies on the impact of piracy with independent film, but also when it's something that is different and unique. Because you think if... uh, You know, there were other films that were pirated from that festival. There were several other films that were pirated they don't have the same they didn't have the same reaction they didn't have the same story um Skinnerink really stood out it was something that people were actively seeking and talking about i don't know why i mean i i have my own theories obviously but i don't know the exact reason why um but yeah i think there will be some really interesting studies and, and hypotheses and, and articles about Skidmerink. Just like, you know, when I was at Dread Central, I wrote an article on why I felt that the marketing for the Blair Witch Project to this day is one of the most effective and fascinating uh, bits of film marketing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there will be, there is someone out there right now who in 10 15 20 years will write an article about Skinner, Inc. and its release mm.
0: yeah i think so and it'll be nice to revisit um yeah yeah, yeah i am, i am looking forward to watching it again i think I, I need to give it a little bit more time in between viewings cuz i did i did nearly watch it last night in in preparation for for today but i thought it's too soon i need to give it give it some more breathing room and i, I want to go in yeah. kind of more uh Fresh. How how many times have you seen it out of curiosity?
1: I mean, I I've seen it several times because when Kyle sent me uh Skinner Inc., it actually wasn't the finished version. Sure. Um he was still making some slight edits. He was asking me for some thoughts. He was, you know, you know, what would you what would you do here? I had very, very, very few notes. I don't even remember what they were, because this was a year and some months ago more. Um sure. so I you know we were kind of talking back and forth but I watched a few different versions of the film and you know obviously have revisited it since um so yeah I've I've watched it at least a handful of times
0: Mm -hmm.
1: great is is there been
0: anything like that you've noticed with each addition additional watch like anything that's kind of stood out to you that maybe you hadn't picked up on the uh, before
1: you know it's n- not really uh it's more i i really want to just immerse myself in the atmosphere of the film i i still get scared mm-hmm. by it and i think that's probably one of the biggest compliments i can give it um because you know i'm i'm a lifelong horror fan i've seen thousands upon thousands upon thousands of horror films mm-hmm. and there have been some films that have genuinely frightened me and i love that feeling so i want to get it and and revisit that so i you know will re-watch movies and i notice that my level of fear kind of begins to wane mm-hmm. um, you know here's an example and this may get me excommunicated from the horror community for some people um event horizon first time i watched event horizon Terrified, absolutely terrified. Loved it. Um, I'm of the mindset now that that movie just has not aged well. I revisit it, and I'm just—I'm no longer scared. Sure. And I—and there are times when I'm watching it, and I think to myself, you know, I this this particular scene drags, or you know, this I'm just not feeling this. This is this is that. Um. And admittedly, Event Horizon has decades uh, for me to work through that. And Skinnamarink is is not at that point yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see, you know, how does Skinnamarink fare in 10 years time, in 20 years time. But I think why I think Skinnamarink will always scare me Even even if it wanes, it will always scare me a little bit. Is because it really does tap into the child Uh inside of me, my inner child, and what scared me then, and that will never change.
0: Yeah, it's kind of experiential in a way, isn't it? Um, You know, had you like, could you even have imagined that it became this much of an event, this much of a talking point? No,
1: no, no, it was in our wildest dreams. I mean, the sure. other, EP, the other, my, the other EP that I'm credited with uh, Josh Doke, he uh, was part of the team at mutiny and we were working on this together and he was the first one to say, man, wouldn't it be awesome if it did a limited release? Like, you know, your five, 10, 15 theaters, and then it just okay. grew paranormal activity style. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, that'd be amazing. I don't know if that's possible, but like, that would be astonishing. And he, he hit the nail on the head he did, like what he, what he saw happened. Um, and so, you know, we, we still are talking about it and texting about it. um, You know, we just had a call the other day and we were asked, you know, it was with a few other people because we're looking to the future, you know, what is, what is next sure. for, for all of us, you know, not just Kyle, but, you know, ourselves as well. And we were asked, you know, about Skidmer and, and that question always comes up could you, could you ever have envisioned uh, that marink would be what it is now? And in, inevitably, you know, we're both like, no, we, we, we hoped our okay. answer is always the same. We hoped with the wildest of dreams, mm-hmm. but we never could have anticipated this and it, it did it. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, yeah.
0: I mean the horror horror community really came through and uh, they did. a lot a lot of people are fighting for it passionately which is um which is great even if they didn't particularly enjoy it you know which is yeah. uh which is really good. Um
1: I think horror fans just love seeing the underdog succeed. I exactly. Think that's the, the biggest thing for them is yeah. is is seeing horror get that kind of recognition and attention that it deserves. Mm. And and yeah, um you know films like like this come rarely where it becomes such a part of the cultural zeitgeist sure yeah i mean i do i do the vulture crossword every day vulture.com they have a crossword every day i do it and last week uh or you know a week and a half ago or so there was a clue uh you know with 22 down the director of skinemarink and i was like are you he's now a crossword clue like (laughs) that's unbelievable
0: that's when you know you've made it yeah you know hundred I mean? like, that's <laughs> that, that's great um yeah speaking of the uh kind of horror um climate at the moment and, and the current zeitgeist and, and the underdog i think skinner is one of three films kind of at the moment you know all wildly wildly different um yeah. but I, underdog wise i kind of think of winnie the pooh blood and honey and uh terrifier 2 from last year yeah. and they have had similar things so i i spoke to michael levy uh co-producer on terrifier 2 and uh, we spoke to vince knight dop for um for winnie the pooh blood and honey and yeah. you know it was the same kind of thing for them limited release um you thought maybe it'll live on streaming if we're lucky, and you know we'll send the links out to uh, to a few friends. Same same with Jed as well. Uh, Jed mm-hmm. Shepherd's like host was going to maybe live on Shudder, and then maybe some people would see it. You know, um, but but particularly the three films, including Skinnamarink that I just mentioned, like they've all kind of gone gangbusters. And what why do you think that that is, and what what do you think is kind of going on? with the horror climate at the moment
1: so terrifier 2 it's interesting because i was part of the team that was on terrifier 1 that was a dread a yeah. central presents release and i was there when uh when steve brought it he fought for it uh he was like no this is going to be amazing it, you know so much of Terrifier's success is owed to to steve to steve Martin, who is producer on terrifier 2 and With Terrifier 1, we knew that it was doing gangbusters for for us. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, And, you know, when I was at Dread Central, we were going to horror conventions around the country. And everywhere we went, there were bootleg T-shirts, posters, paintings, action figures, everything for Art the Clown. Um, We were like, this is, like... This has exploded. This is so big. And so Terrifier 2, it made sense because there was an audience that was built in. Plus, Terrifier is known for being gratuitous and over-the-top and, and so gory and so violent. Um, and I love horror with all my heart in all of its different incarnations. I will say that horror lately, for a... A lot of the community has been safe in terms of gore. There hasn't been, you know, some big gory movies happening. Um, you know, you don't have your Friday the 13th in theaters. You don't have your Nightmare on Elm Street in theaters. You don't have something where a lot of practical effects and a lot of gore are at the forefront. And Terrifier 2 came and said, um, fuck that. Let's unleash the gates let's just go balls to the wall we're going to give you you want gore we're gonna give you gore and horror fans crave that and it became notorious because a lot of the younger generation hadn't seen something like that in theaters just literally because of age um you know so i understand terrifier 2's success without a doubt and winnie the pooh blood and honey is because it's such an absurdity and that's not a, a negative, that's not a mm-hmm. criticism. It's because everyone knows Winnie the Pooh as this heartwarming cartoon, as this heartwarming <laughs> character. you know, there's that story that circulates Reddit and, and Twitter every once in a while about how the guy who does the voice for Winnie the Pooh will call children's hospitals and speak to children in the Winnie the Pooh voice. It's so wholesome, <laughs> it's so loving, it's so wonderful, and now he's a fucking murderer. What? Mm. It's, it's a complete 180. And because of that, you've got built-in audience who knows about this character because Winnie the Pooh is, is ubiquitous. It's so hard to not know That's Winnie right. the Pooh, even if you've never read a book or watched a show sure. or, or anything. So you've got that built-in audience. And that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, you've got the design of Winnie the Pooh, which is creepy and weird. Uh, listen, as, as a, uh, as an ex film critic, as, you know, someone who's done film acquisitions, as someone who now does distribution, as a producer, as a director, um, I, I see Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey and I immediately I become the uh, the fox in the old Looney Tunes cartoons where my eyes turn into <laughs> dollar signs and just start you know spinning round and round sure. uh, I it's it's such a genius idea um, regardless of the final product I'll say that um, you know there are some movies that are wildly wildly successful that are just... Not, not great movies, you know. You know, you watch it, you're not going to sit there and think this is Citizen Kane. Uh, yeah. you know, Velocipaster that's a great example of a movie that did unbelievably well on a very low budget, and it's absurd and it's silly, and it's not, you know, uh, from a objective point of view, it's not a great movie. From a subjective point of view, mm-hmm. have all the fun you want, enjoy sure. it, love it, whatever. Um, you know, it's So that's why I think when you look at Terrifier 2, when you look at Inc, when you look at Winnie the Pooh, uh, Blood and Honey, and you think to yourself, what is going on? Why are these movies so successful? Uh, It's because they do something different. They all do something different. Terrifier 2 brought gore that had, for many people... Uh, for an entire generation had never been done on in theaters. They hadn't seen that they hadn't lived through, um, you know, seeing scream or, or I know you did last summer or all these movies where uh-huh. blood and guts pour out. Sure. Uh, they weren't, they weren't born. Literally. That's the old, oh, that's the only impediment. Winnie the Pooh blood and honey. It's taking something that is beloved from your childhood and it is turning it into the complete opposite. It's a murder. It's, Depraved and Skinamarink is just unlike any other horror movie, mainstream horror movie that anyone had ever seen. So it really is. And and you brought up by the way, uh, Jed and Host. I think Host is also another fantastic example of how do you take found footage and do something different. And I was talking with Jed just the other day, and I told him, you know, what made what made Zoom. Uh, what made hosts so fascinating and scary for me is you look at that movie and you think, Oh, they're, they're together. You know, here they are all on the screen. They're all together. No, none of them are together. They are all completely alone. Cause they're in their homes, uh-huh. separated from everyone. They, you see them all on screen together and you think they're together. They're not. They are all completely alone in the dark, doing a st- Stupid fucking idea of doing a seance over zoom and botching it up and all getting their, their just rewards. So each of these films thought, what can we do that is different? And, or they didn't even consider that they just made what they made, but it tapped into that you know it, retroactively we look at it and it goes and, and it did something different so i think that's what we're seeing and that's why these films are getting the success and adoration and discourse that they are is because they're different they are challenging audiences and audiences want to be challenged
0: uh, yeah that was going to be my last question like do you think it's kind of indicative of what the horror audiences want rather than kind of the uh, you know paid by numbers approach that we're you know that we can I don't want to smirch anybody. You know, it's it's hard to even make a a bad film, but, um, you know that's. Yeah. What 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 do you think? Like, is is going to be coming next in terms? You know, are we going to be seeing more of the same? In, it's kind of a ridiculous question, I guess, because it's it's difficult to say. I suppose.
1: Well, I think you know. I think *Skinnerink* is going to start a trend of very kind of abstract horror films we saw that uh what is it uh backrooms is that oh my gosh called? yeah backrooms. Uh, getting backrooms that has been picked up with james wan and sean levy and a24 never that never would have happened even a year ago i truly believe that the success of skinnamarink made these made all these parties go okay i i feel more comfortable Taking on this risk because clearly there's interest, and this might be the kickoff point for the bigger, for the more exciting. Yeah. Horror comes in waves. Horror all has always come in you know, been released in waves and in themes. And I think with as the internet has become bigger and bigger, and as streaming services have become bigger and bigger, and a bigger part of the discourse and of the way that fans can engage with horror i think now we're looking at the first time when when horror doesn't have to follow a trend necessarily Mm -hmm. um and there have always been movies that don't follow trends always but usually when you look at decades you can pinpoint a trend of some kind um you know the 50s were, you know, it was post-war and it was the fear of radiation. It was the fear of, of everything related to that because there was the atom bomb. Uh-huh. You know, and it was terrifying. And so what do you do? Attack of the 50-foot woman. Them. Uh-huh. You know, Kingdom of the Spiders. You know, all of that. Uh, you look at um, uh, the 60s and you get stuff like Rosemary's Baby and you get stuff like Night of the Living Dead um, where you know Night of the Living Dead was a reaction to Vietnam uh you know where war could be covered in real time rather than we have to wait weeks for film reels to be shipped and then edited and then played in theaters it this it was now on TV it was live that okay. and that plays such a big role in Night of the Living Dead you know the the need for the TV for information okay. Uh you look at the 70s and you've got a lot of Uh, religious horror and then the 80s came and it was the age of excess Uh um and that's when we had a lot uh, that's when horror movies really started embracing uh wild practical effects and going Uh over the top um and 90s became meta uh, you know, towards the second half and slashers. And then 9-11 happened in early uh-huh. 2001. And then we started seeing the quote unquote torture porn subgenre, because when you have an event that is so horrific and so shocking and so traumatic, how do you engage with that? Uh-huh. And horror has always engaged by going one step above because you know, I remember seeing, I remember where I was when nine eleven happened. I remember seeing that. And how do I work through that, those horrific images that I've seen? Well, horror going huge and above, that's a safe place for me to look into because now I'm, I can, I know it's fake. I know that it's not real. I know that the person who just exploded into a pile of guts and viscera mm-hmm. They're fine. They're standing off to the side watching mm-hmm. their effigy get blown up and having a having a giggle. But now with streaming, you've got elevated horror, you've got slashers, you've got foreign horror, you've got supernatural, you've got comedy, you've got queer horror, you've got uh, horror from all sorts of different filmmakers. You really now have a buffet in front mm-hmm. of you. So I, I really think that when we look back the 20s are going to be known as the genre as the decade where horror didn't have an identity and i think that's great mm-hmm. uh that's not a, that's not a negative it's simply that it's so multifaceted that it's a cronenbergian uh amalgamation that yeah. doesn't make sense and that's that's exciting i love that
0: it's a nice problem to have
1: it's a wonderful problem to have because For now sure. because Theaters are looking at Terrifier 2 and Skinner Mm -hmm. and, you know, Outwaters and Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey and are saying independent horror is generating revenue. We should keep we should give that a chance. So independent horror is going to do more theatrically. I really believe that. And then and streamers are looking at what is succeeding and they realize that they don't have to follow a trend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like with Shudder, it's a great example They have reality show. They have Dragula. They have documentaries that fans are like clamoring for. Sure. Um, So yeah, that's. I think the future is unknown, but it's so exciting.
0: It is. What What do you think that independent horror filmmakers can do to utilize and you know benefit from the way that things are at the moment? Because you know the iron is hot. And from my, from my perspective, now is the time to strike. What, you know, as an EP, someone who's been in the, in the, uh, in the business in in many different ways, and clearly a, a huge lover of horror, what can independent horror filmmakers be doing right now to kind of help their chances to get things going?
1: So the first thing that I'll say, and this is for every filmmaker out there is you have to, there has to be honesty. Um, you know, I I can watch movies and know right away if the intentions were honest while making it, or if it's just like, "Hey, let's knock this out." You can it it, it drips off of every moment, um, so definitely go into this with honesty. I uh, the next thing is just think. What makes your story different? And it doesn't have to be a huge thing. As a matter of fact, it probably shouldn't be. Um, it's v- as as we we've seen, it's very, 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 very rare that something that a film does something wildly different and it lands. It's really, really hard to do that. Focus on doing something just a, a little bit different on you know some small, subtle change that brings a new dimension. Um, You know, I think it's really important to, to kind of ask if we're doing something different, how does that, wh- what is the spider web that suddenly unveils un- itself? From that small decision, because you really have to think. Okay, you know, let's let's just throw out as an example. What if uh, we do a a masked killer movie? You know, something a throwback to the eighties. But it turns out that the mask that the identity of the masked killer is actually a woman. Um, you know, we we haven't seen that too terribly often. Usually, it's you know when you think of the big masked killers, it's men. It's Jason. It's Michael um you know even not necessarily the mass it's freddy who are the slasher icons the majority of them they're men so we want to make a slasher icon that's a woman okay cool great really dive into that really think about that okay it's it's a woman we can't just you know you know write uh something for you know, a man throw in, you know, suddenly change that it's, uh, it's a woman and see how that goes. If, if you do that, then I really hope you're engaging with the actress that is playing that role and saying, okay, you're in the driver's seat. You're this mass murderer. Does this story make sense? Because you, with your perspective, is that, does this all feel authentic? Does this feel true? Is this what you, you know, how you would think, how you would act, how you would perform. And, And really explore where there are going to be the differences. Because it's in those differences that many of us feel uncomfortable. And I'm also a person who believes that discomfort is not a negative. It's not a bad thing. We should be placed in situations where we're uncomfortable. Because that asks us to really explore ourselves and our reactions and who we are as people. So put me in that position put me in a place where I am uncomfortable and where I want to explore what that says about me. You know, barbarian is a movie that I absolutely loved, absolutely loved barbarian. I don't know if I ever want to watch it again because of how much it made me feel like I was crawling inside my own skin. Um, But that's a testimony to how well it was written and to how well it was uh, executed. So I think that's the big thing. If you're a filmmaker out there, And you want to strike while the iron is hot, as you said. Explore your story. See what it does that's different. See what will set you apart, even a little bit. And then also, really put forth the effort. Really take your time uh, crafting every scene, every shot. Because that's another thing. I've watched plenty of movies where I go, they didn't plan this. shot too well like they just you know said okay we need to shoot the scene let's just let's just throw a camera in let's let's figure it out let's get it and move on to the next one because you're excited for that next scene um you know be excited for every single scene you're going to shoot make it live and breathe in its own beautiful way um and then probably from a very pragmatic perspective, uh, I'll tell you this right now. If your video equipment isn't exactly the greatest, that's fine. You, you, be inventive and work, and work way around that. Your audio equipment better be incredible because I will watch a poor looking movie so long as it has good audio. I can watch the most beautiful looking film on the planet, but if it has crap audio, I'm turning it off.
0: I think that's reasonable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Huge thank you to Jonathan for being so generous with his time, giving us a behind-the-scenes look at Skinner Marink. Uh, you know, and I only kind of peek behind the curtain in terms of distribution because I, I personally didn't know a lot of that stuff. Honestly, I have no idea how it works, but um, you know, I feel like I do a little bit more now, which is great. I just want to jump back to something that uh, Jonathan said. Like he found Skinner Inc. on Reddit. You know, he he's on Google every single day looking for things, and that kind of just reinforces what we've been saying this entire time of you need to be putting yourself out there. If your dream is to kind of be a working filmmaker and to tell your stories on that kind of scale, you just have to be putting yourself out there. Um, you know, there, there are people actively looking for films to make or films to distribute. Um, and look at Skinner Inc. It's uh, out there, experimental. You know, I don't know if house" is the right word, but but, you know, it's... It's you know. I think that's the best way to put it. And Jonathan saw it. He took a risk on it, and look at what's happening now. Whether or not anybody, you know, whether whether or not you like Skinnerink, it's undeniable that it has been successful, and it's been a talking point. and it, And this is a turning point in horror. Get your stuff out there for crying out loud! This is what we've been telling you the entire time. If you're not working on it right now, get started. If you don't know where to start, come and talk to us at the London Horror Society. This is what we're here for. In case you don't know what the London Horror Society is or does, we are a group of filmmakers, horror filmmakers. We put on Q&As. We have writers rooms. We have loads of resources on our website. We've got a Discord full of uh, horror filmmakers who are always happy to give advice. Uh, You know, we put on socials. We do all kinds of stuff um check out our website at the link below sign up to the mailing list because there are a couple of things that we're announcing in the next couple of weeks um that for the london horror society they're they're game changers they're things that we've not done before uh, and they're really really exciting so if you're looking to make your start or just get a bit better or find people to be making your films with come and hit us up come and find us at the links below uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll enjoy horror together. We'll, uh, we'll make some stuff, you know, cause that, that's the whole point, isn't it? Like you just, we just got to be putting ourselves out there. So yeah, let's go get it. Um, but yeah, thank you again to Jonathan. Um, again, I can't tell you who next week's guest is because we're not hundred percent sure. We're just figuring out how the rest of season one is going to go at the moment, Um, But, you know, we will have an episode next week and it is going to be a good one. Um, We've got about maybe 10 records over the next couple of weeks that are going to be really, really cool. Um, I think they're going to be really useful. And I just need a quick favor just before I let you go. Now, we don't ask this every episode because I think it's kind of tacky and I don't really like it. Um, And to be honest, I also always forget um, you know, I asked at the beginning of the season, if uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, you think it's useful, it'd be really, really great for us if you could give it a like, um, you know, follow our Instagram, follow our Twitter, uh, give us a rating on Spotify and Apple podcasts and all those other places. Uh, it just helps with the algorithm, helps us get into more people's feeds. And, you know, ultimately we, what we want to do is kind of grow the community. We want to grow London Horror Society, but we also want to grow the British horror community and connect people um, on the whole as well so yeah if you could that'd be great um we'd really appreciate it so thank you in advance we will be back next friday until then stay weird stay spooky keep up the good work